You're listening to Divorce Happy Hour, everything you need to know about divorce in New Jersey. I'm your host today, Christina Previtt. Joining me today is Jennifer Hilligus. Jennifer is a licensed therapist in East Brunswick, New Jersey. Over the course of Jennifer's practice, she routinely counsels teens and kids. Um, who, among other things, are experiencing their parents' divorce. She's here to provide some insight into the teenager's experience and specifically share what to do and what not to do to screw up your kids during your divorce. But she has a much nicer title than I <laughs> We're going to try to mitigate do. the damage. That's mitigate what we're the do. damage. <laughs> we'll, we'll go yeah. with the whole law thing, right? And actually, I was thinking about the law term because I once had a 12-year-old say to me, and this is what sticks out forever, is that she was talking about her and her sister, and she said, we are collateral damage in this. Mm. And however, those two people did not handle it well at all. And I have seen people handle it well. And the and the new normal becomes quick. You mean and, the parents? Yes. Okay. Yes. the par- it, it, Really, they're the driving force behind how the experience goes for the kids because they don't have the control over what happens. Yeah, so that's actually what I was going to ask you was how much of the way that the child experiences the divorce is dictated by the parents? Does it start with the parents and then kind of trickle down? Or is it just that every child is different and and you know, maybe they interpret the experience differently. Well, I think both. I mean, there are kids who really need to know what's next. They need to have things predictable. They don't like surprises. And that is a personality thing. You can't fail a personality test. But there are some that have more difficulty with these transitions than others who kind of go with the flow, just kind of need to know, but are obsessed about knowing what's coming next. But for kids, and I've found, even teenagers, we they need things predictable. And unfortunately, we don't have a blueprint. Not even the parents, most of the time, have a blueprint for divorce. So there are lots of ways to do your best with that, and, and I can give you a few. So, well, the first way to do this is always validate their feelings. That's really hard to do when you have your own feelings, right? And yeah. you have to take care of yourself. And you mentioned earlier, you know, you always put on in a plane crash, you always put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. And yeah. I think that's a great way to explain how to deal with a divorce because you do have to take care of yourself or you can take care of them. And there will be so many factors that influence how you engage with them that you need to be conscious of. So the first thing is don't minimize the fighting before because there's so much that leads up to a divorce. That's really like the, you know, encore. At the what end do you mean by minimize the fighting? So I have so many parents that will say, no, it's okay. Mommy and daddy weren't fighting. We were just, don't do that. Because they know. It, they know. They always know. And even the little ones, I mean, the teenagers obviously know, yeah. but even the little ones will say that their belly feels weird or they, they can feel the tension. They don't know exactly what that is, but they feel it. Even if they can't put it into words, they know they're not comfortable. They'll talk about hiding under their blankets or talking to their stuffed animals. Um, the older ones will say they're fighting again. They're going to tell me they're not, but they are. And it almost insults their intelligence. It does, but it also makes you not trustworthy anymore. Yeah. Because when you, when they've clearly heard a blowout fight, even if you didn't mean for them to do so, there are lots of parents that try to do the right thing. They'll try to fight when the kids go to, um, to bed. Well, they also forget that their house is built in whatever year and it's yeah. not really that soundproof. 
or you have kids that know you're doing that and they need to know. They feel so anxious about not knowing what's going on that they'll eavesdrop. They do it all the time. They will listen. They'll pick. Some of them have picked up the phone before. If you still have a landline, um, yeah. we've been doing this a while. So, yeah. Um, yeah. some of them will read your text messages if they can, and they'll ask people or they'll test you. They'll like ask certain questions and try to see what answers you give them. And really, the most important thing is to make sure that you are trustworthy and say, "Yes, we were fighting. Uh, tell me how you felt when we were fighting." And start that conversation about feelings, not about logistics, because that will help you later to be able to process every emotion that comes up through this divorce. What if they want to know what you were fighting about? So that depends on the age group, right? And what they already know. So my favorite question to ask kids who are asking questions like that is, what do you think? Because here's what we do. We figure out where they are. We figure out Mm. sometimes you could just say, yeah, you're right. Because if they hit it somewhat close, That's the level that they can understand. And like, yeah, we were fighting about that. We were fighting about money or they don't like I mean, when they're really young, it's kind of okay to say, you know, it's really hard to explain it to you now. Um, But we can talk about it when you're older. But what do you think right now? And then have them start that conversation like, well, I think you're mad at each other. Yes. We are mad. We disagree on something. You can always bring it back to when, say, you and your brother, when you disagree. Do you yell sometimes? Yes. Do you scream sometimes? Sure. Do you slam doors? Yes. That's what humans do when we disagree. It's different between mommy and daddies. And the thing is that they are not as interested in what you're fighting about. It's especially the younger ones. They want to know what's going to happen to them. They want to know how this is going to affect them. They're very egocentric. Um, I'm going to get like the age range wrong, but I'd say up until like maybe puberty, they're very egocentric. And then they become, they begin to understand more when they get older and you can be more frank with them about it. Um, But you two would have to decide. I mean, and if you don't give them enough truth, they will fill in the truth. And I can tell you, I had a second grader come to me and say, who never, nobody had a conversation with her, but she said, Daddy made a mistake at the neighbor's house and has to live there until he fixes it. So Wow. That's... Yes, because I used to – I did divorce groups in an elementary school and a middle school for a long time. I worked in East Brunswick schools. So I've had, you know, divorce groups from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. Well, seventh. And um, they all kind of know, you know, and if they don't know, they will fill it in. They'll fill well, it in. And it's, sometimes it's worse than what really yeah, happened. That does make sense. I mean, I think even sometimes as adults we do that when we make assumptions about mm-hmm. you know, maybe why someone doesn't like us or if someone's upset with us. We make all these assumptions about what they think, and oftentimes those are wrong. So I could definitely see how a child would do that too. It, it seems like it's only natural. So, But what should you not I mean, how much detail do you give them? I mean, you're not going to say, well, you know, your dad cheated on me, so here Mm -mm. we are. No. You know, how much detail do you give them? I think that it does depend on how old, right? But the general consensus is identifying that there's chaos in the house or there's fighting, that we're not getting along. I know you feel the tension. I know you see that we aren't relating. And that's not a great example of marriage. And just to think about, you know, Mm -hmm. that... There are, and I and I would go very clearly with, uh, I know that you've noticed there's been a change between us. 
Um, what have you noticed? You can let them explain it. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You know, they are aware. What have you noticed? And try to be united front. The two of you should be sitting there. Now, naturally, one is going to talk more than the other. That's probably yeah. the case with parenting, and it's going to be the case with this conversation. But a little, like, pre-conversation sit-down would be best to kind of say, all right, you know, when this comes up, how are we going to handle it? Say we a lot, almost every time. We have decided, you know, whether you're going to get separated, divorced. They don't know what that means. Divorce is a piece of paper to them. Yeah. They need to know what's going to happen. We are going, you don't even need to use those words. We are going to live separately for a while. Or we are discussing possibly living in different houses, you know, daddy moving out, mommy moving out, whatever that looks like. Give it the logistics to it. So don't be vague like, oh, don't worry. Mm-mm. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, no. You know, now go to bed. Because that it's really the... mean anything. No. It starts with, we know that things are not fine. And we know that you know things are not fine. Um, every kid is scared. They always say, you know, there could be situations where I've seen they are literally in an abusive spouse situation, these kids, and they still don't want to have their parents get divorced. Now, I would also ask them, what does that mean? Because they could have a friend. The only, what's your blueprint of divorce? Like, what does that mean? There's a friend that you know doesn't see his father anymore, and that could be their understanding of divorce. So also find out, well, when you think about divorce, what does that mean to you? What does that look like in your head? And then start identifying myths because it's not going to be the same for everybody. Every single family has a different experience with divorce. So let's find out what they think it is and then sort of steer them into what it might look like for this family. Those are all really excellent suggestions and things that I never thought about. So um, and I'm going to keep them in mind in my own cases. What about um, things like don't worry, this isn't your fault. Nothing that's happening here is your Mm -hmm. fault. And mommy and daddy love you. Still not enough, right? Well, I think that it's important to identify that mommies and daddies have a different kind of love than the mommies has for their children, right? That never ends. But when mommies and daddies, they fell in love, they chose to be in love, and they chose to get married. It was a choice. And so... That that can end. That's a different kind of love. And then move it back to we will always be. Spend less time on that, you know, more adult stuff and move it immediately to we will always be your mommy and daddy. That is never changing. You will always be living with a, one of us. That will never change. You know, so that's they really just need to know what's going to happen to them. Um, even even teenagers, they want to know what's going to happen to them. Yeah. Now, depending on how your child is built, they may literally need a calendar that when they're younger, it has a sticker, a certain sticker for mommy, a certain sticker for daddy. Who's picking me up after school? I have so many kids say, well, wh- who's going to pick me up? Or yeah. how is this going to change? Like, where am I going to sleep? And so that is sometimes just by giving them that predictability you will silence a lot of the anxiety. Not all of it. But again, what is their idea of divorce? What does that mean? And when you start laying out for them that on this day you're going to be with mommy, you're going to sleep here for two nights. And then, and also, so there's a strong thing, and this really makes the parents' anxiety less, right? It's, well, you're going to have two Christmases, for example, and you're going to get to do your own room, and you're going to, yes, there is that element. But this is not happy. 
Yeah. This is not happy for anybody, not even the two people so getting don't try divorced. To present it that no. way. Like this is because fun. then they're confused. They do yeah. not feel happy about this. But you're presenting happy. So yeah. it's but wait a second. I don't feel happy, but I'm supposed to feel happy. So now I'm gonna disappoint you if I don't. And so and that kind of leads me to my next thing, right? I often hear from parents, they're not talking about it. You know, they're not talking about the divorce, they're fine. Please yeah. do not assume that not talking about something means that they're fine. Here's probably what happened. A child of any age, it doesn't matter. We're constantly looking for approval, right? They're reading your body language. Even when they're younger, they can't tell you that, but they know, like, they'll say to me, she made the mad face or she made the sad face. You probably don't even know that you're doing that, but they're reading it. So if they ask you a question about anything, about daddy or mommy, for example, and your face looks like it's upsetting or a negative emotion, they will, depending on the age, now older teens will not think this necessarily, but they know that it's not a pleasant conversation. Younger children will think that they upset you. And so what that is is an association. I bring up mommy or daddy and therefore anything about this fighting, whatever, and I upset mommy or daddy. Therefore, I do not talk about this anymore. You think you're protecting them, but they're protecting you. And it's an association, and no one's going to readily put their hand on a burner over and over again, right? So, and I'm not saying that you don't need a poker face. Well, you do, but we don't all have that, right? This is an emotional thing, right? (laughs) This is an emotional thing. So I would identify it. I would identify it like, yes, this is a sad thing to talk about. And you can model, you're not, let me just be very clear about this, you are not strong if you don't cry. That does not mean you're strong. I feel so, so significantly about that. Emoting in an appropriate way is the best modeling that you can do for your children, male and female, because that tells them that it's okay to let things out. Now, some of them might feel uncomfortable, but you identify it. You say, yes, I'm upset. You can see that I'm upset because I'm crying. I look sad. And that doesn't mean you're making me sad. It means that this is a sad thing to talk about. And I know that you feel that way because I know you feel sad when we talk about it too. So it's okay to be upset, but let's still talk about it because we don't have to avoid things that make us feel upset. It's important to talk about it and process it. And you might not say process when, you know, with a kid, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends how old they are too. Yeah, absolutely. So this is wonderful information, but doesn't some of this require the parents to be have some level of um, being amicable. Because how do they sit, if they can't even sit in a room together without clawing each other, how can they sit together with their child and say, we decided this and we're going to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Um, It's literally doing it. You can do do that. You can do that. You don't have to do that, but I'm telling you what's going to be the best transition for your children. So you don't have to, no. But can you literally sit down and say words, yes, every human is capable of that. It's a choice. Okay. I don't want to be t- – that sounded really tough. No, but yeah, it's a, it is a tough choice. love. It is. It's a choice. I mean, you can do that. I know that you don't – you want to tear each other's eyes out, right? And But you have these two kids or three kids or one child, whatever mm-hmm. it is, that need you to just for maybe 15 minutes pretend. And that's Okay. And that's okay in that you still look like a united front and it's a we situation because I will tell you, and especially teenagers, if they sense a crack, they will exploit it. Not because they are bad people, because they're humans. Yeah, I think I hear that a lot more often with um, teenagers. Yes, yes. 
Because that's, I mean, they're naturally pushing boundaries. They're naturally, you know, trying to be independent, but they're still children. And the frontal lobe is nowhere near developed until the 20s. So we're kind of working with serious stuff with a brain that's not developed yet. So I think a lot of people make the mistake that because they see their child who has gone through puberty and mm-hmm. you know, they kind of look like an adult, yes. that they're an adult. And yeah. then, you know, they j- just understand all of this. Right, especially when they're taller than you and they have the deep voice or, you know, yeah. they just look so much older than they did. They can handle this. And that's not necessarily the case. I can tell you that, you know, I often ask kids in therapy, um, what are your three wishes, Right. And I will get almost always if a child is from a divorce situation that my parents are back together unless and there is a, an unless there it happened before age five. That's typically when, you know, yes, it happened, but that's their normal. They don't remember any other time. And I mean, I guess I could kind of say you don't crave chocolate if you've never had it. Right. So yeah. so yeah. that kind of um, it lends itself to not knowing any different. So this is their normal and this is fine with them. And the best thing to do in the transition, regardless of the ages, be consistent and create the new normal exactly what it would look like as quickly as possible. So whether that is and, you know, some people don't know before they get officially divorced if they're going to be in one house or two houses. You know, are you keeping the house? Are you both moving? Like what's happening? And and that kind of conversation to say, like, we don't know what's happening yet, but we will tell you as soon as possible. Here are a couple things that might know. If you have a kid that will worry, try not to do that. You have to really know your kid's personality. If they will worry about what ifs, you know, and you probably have heard that from them before you even decide to get divorced, you don't want to give them too many options because it's, well, what if we move here and do this? And oh my goodness, I end up, you know, this. So sometimes you have to like monitor how much information you give them based on how they're built. And and that's really hard to do because I'm asking you as a parent that's getting divorced to take it out of yourself, really study your children. And that's that's hard because it's a subjective experience and I'm asking you to be objective about it. And that is just almost impossible, but you could do your best to be more aware of it. But then you you have to give them some explanation because like you described Mm -hmm. earlier, they see the tension, they see the Mm -hmm. fighting. They're going to need some some explanation for sure. that, not and just everything's fine. So how do you balance that? I think it's more, you know, right now we are – no one is happy in this house. We are not getting along. We are fighting constantly. We are not being a married couple that we would want to model for you. We are – working on it, if you're working on it, yes. And I would start identifying this before you even decide about divorce. I would identify because you don't want your children growing up with this only example of marriage and thinking that this is normal, right? So if you're not behaving in a way that you would want them or their spouse to behave, then identify it. I always ask people when, because a lot of, I talk about this a lot because I'm perplexed by it to no end. When someone comes in, they talk about how unhappy they are, you know, all these terrible things that they've endured in their marriage. And then at the end of the consultation, when it's time to move forward, I don't know. I'm I'm not ready. I have to think about it. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always like, but what are you thinking about? And one of the things I hear often is, well, I'm staying for the kids. Mm-hmm. And my feeling has always been, you're really not doing them a favor. So can you expound on that? It depends on the situation. I will say if there are two people who are – and now you can be not happy for many reasons, right? You could literally be a roommate with your spouse, right? But that doesn't mean there's fighting. That doesn't mean you're yeah. not a good team. Um, those people, 
they could stay together for the kids. But, I mean, what does that look like? I don't know. But if it's a cost-benefit analysis, it might make sense to stay together for the kids and then divorce when they're out of the house. Now, will I tell you that there are 27-year-olds that come into my office and are freaking out that their parents are getting divorced? Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, it's... It's not six of one and half a dozen of the other, but if you have a team, if you and your spouse are still a team, there's not chaos, there's not abuse, there's not something where it is difficult environment for the children to live in. Yeah, I guess you can make a case for staying together for the kids, right? But what about what kind of relationship they're modeling? A relationship with teamwork and mutual respect is really the base of what you want them to build from, right? But if they're if they know if there's tension, what if there's if no there's, love? I mean, love in in a child's world is different than what they're going to experience growing up, right? To love to them, the two of you being present at things, right? And you can do that when you're divorced too. I mean, that's a whole other conversation that we might get into if we have time. But the love to them, again, especially the younger they are, the more egocentric they are. They don't know what that looks like. They know that mommy and daddy are not fighting. They're both there for me. They're both at my soccer game or they are both at parent-teacher conferences. And that's basically the extent of parenting there, right? As, you know, children get older, they start their own relationships. They know what that feels like. They may comment, you know, you two don't hold hands. You two don't kiss. You know, what is that? Now, does everyone know? Some people's love language is not, you know, to be overly PDA in, in general. Um, so I think it's more not exactly what you do model. It's what you don't model, I think, is the most important mm-hmm. conversation there. You know, to okay. to allow them to see an imbalance of power, for example, whether somebody has is just dominating someone else in whatever way or if there's fighting constantly or if there's controlling behavior, if there's any kind of um, substance abuse, if there's just an unpredictability about life that is negative, um, no, that's not a great relationship to model. You know, you, okay. if you are a team without love, what does that really mean? How does that affect the child? It doesn't. It affects you. I guess I'm, I, I always think to certain friends that I have who will say things like, well, you know, when I was growing up, my parents slept in separate rooms and mm-hmm. you know they never really went on vacation together they they didn't really do things together like they were just more like roommates and and I I don't know I guess I wouldn't want my child to grow up thinking that that's what a, a marriage looks like unless well, it's really what they want right absolutely not but the truth is that that person didn't put that together until they were older because they didn't know I mean, how would you know where parents sleep, right? We don't think about that. When you're younger, right, like and let, if your parents have always slept in separate rooms, that's the normal. That's the normal. But then you grow up thinking that that's normal. Then you normal. grow up. Exactly. You do. And then you realize it's not. So but if do it, you really? It depends I once you have those, other experiences. Those things become so ingrained in us. They do. And then I think it's more about what you want. You know, because there are so many um, kids who say, you know, uh, my parents had to work so hard at these blue collar jobs. Right. I want to go to college and I want to change it. So there's that element. I mean, there is still an element of kids having their own autonomy, their own free will. Right. And unless it was damaging to them, because the truth is kids don't care where you sleep. Let's be honest. 
they're already in bed half the time anyway. They don't care where you sleep. They won't even be consciously aware of that and understand what that means until they are older and have a basis of comparison. And then they can decide, you know, I don't want the marriage that my parents have. Again, this changes completely when their environment is impacted. And that is 99% of divorce. I guess guess the people I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. are the people that are in a marriage. They're sleeping in separate rooms. They haven't had sex in five years. And... You know, it's really not a marriage anymore. It's not certainly not a romantic relationship anymore. And they just continue on because there just doesn't seem to be any reason to go. And I and I guess what I think of is, but how fulfilling is that for you? Like you if you can go out into the world and have find love and have a fulfilling relationship, why would you settle for this why would you settle for we don't have sex we're in separate rooms i i it's really hard for me to wrap my brain around that and i think sometimes people fall back on well you know that was how my parents were and it was okay for them so so that sounds like rationalization right that's because they're scared to change it and they seek out validation that it's okay to stay yeah and if you're doing that it's kind of like a it's i think it's called cognitive dissonance right and i'm gonna you know pull from my psych Mm -hmm. stuff real fast here and it's when your actions do not match your thoughts so if you are thinking i don't want to be married anymore right but you're married okay so there's the dissonance which you can identify as discomfort so what do we typically do we don't usually change our behaviors or our actions because those are harder we change our thoughts So we'll either identify the positives of marriage or focus on the negatives of divorce to keep ourselves stuck for now. Mm -hmm. And that is because it's the biggest predictor of behavior is the avoidance of anxiety. And for probably anybody who comes into your office, it is anxiety provoking to make this huge change. Absolutely. And until you're ready and until like that cost benefit analysis kind of changes, everything else you're talking about is a... reduction of cognitive dissonance. So you bring that back down, you're back like to a homeostasis and you're like, okay, I can move on another day until, you know, whatever happens to make you start thinking, I'm really not happy. Now, as far as children, is there something to be said for a happy parent? Absolutely. There is. Absolutely. You know, if you end up finding someone to show a positive example of a relationship, yes, but the transition to that can be difficult for kids, especially the changes. So, it's always a cost-benefit analysis. We do that all the time. Um, as humans, we're not even aware of it. I can give you one example. Like if there is a blood drive set up in the lobby of your office, you're more likely to do it. Not, And it's never about actually donating the blood. It's about who's going to see me. Do I get a break at work? You know, we don't do that consciously, but it's constant that we do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So everything's a cost-benefit analysis. And once it outweighs one or the other and you can't validate it anymore and you can't rationalize it anymore, that's when change happens. That's yes. when the anxiety is is less of a factor and it just it has to be done now. The, the misery threshold that I that's think what I was you talking saying, about yes, earlier. the misery threshold. And people do get there. It isn't what you... No one gets married identifying like, this is not what I want. I mean, there are a couple people who, you know, I'll see in divorce... Um, sessions, whether it's individually or in a um, marriage counseling session, that they'll say, you know, my gut was screaming. 
when I walked down that aisle. Or, you know, my dad said, you know, if you want out of this, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll create a diversion. And I'm like, wow. Why Isn't would... it easy to look back on those <laughs> it things? It is. It's such hindsight. Make them, 2020. Make them more important than they obviously mm-hmm. were at the time. But I, I mean, think that once you start, right, everybody is in crisis when they come at marriage counseling. They're in crisis when they're in your office, right? Yeah. But it's kind of like the beach eroding, right? Like, you know how we're always saying, like, oh, the beach is backing up, you know? Like, it's eroding. But we don't realize that until we look on a satellite and 10 years later, it's like inches and inches away, right? Marriage erodes. It can. And if we can identify it when it's happen, happening, we have to be very self-aware. We have to be aware of how we're feeling. We can't crave harmony because if we do that, then we're just going to keep harmony, which means that your needs are not going to be met. Um, everybody has needs. And some are different. Some people need more social than the other person does. And that's okay. We just have to figure out how as a team to meet those needs. And sometimes you shouldn't be married. I'll be honest. There are people, and I always tell people very clearly when they walk in for marriage counseling, my goal is not necessarily to keep you married. It's not. It's for the dyad, which we call two people but one entity in psychology, to make the best decision for the dyad. I don't know what that is. And if I had uh, what I thought was it was, I wouldn't be objective. So you need to work through this to figure out what's the best decision. Kids or not, that's a side. Yeah. You know, if we're just talking about the diet and you're not happy, yeah, something should change. Because, I mean, how many years do we get? Right? You're right. I, I talk about that all the time. It sounds kind of morbid, but I only say we don't know when we're going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. we're, we all know we're going to die. Yep, that's We don't happening. know when. We don't know. You know, I I compare it to this. People always say, well, I'm going to put in my 30 years, collect my pension, and then when I retire, I'm going to do all this travel. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, you don't know if you're going to make it there, and you don't know if you're going to be healthy. Right. So we're going a little off topic now. No, um, I don't. But I don't think so, because you're absolutely right about that. And that's and, you know, we're talking about this in divorce happy hour. And I think that that's telling right there. You know, it's happy hour. And if you're not happy, something should change. Something yeah. should change. And if that means a divorce, I'm not judging. I'm not. Mm-hmm. There's no judgment here. You know, you do what makes you happy. There are consequences to every choice. There's consequences to staying married and there's consequences to divorce. And there are ways of doing this to make it a, as seamless as possible. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you and tell you it's not difficult for everybody, but that includes you, the person getting a yeah. divorce. That's not just your children. That is everybody. In-laws, extended family, everything changes, but that doesn't mean it can't be better. I've seen so many people come out of it better. I tell people that. I, I tell them this is what you really want. Mm-hmm. You are basically in a holding pattern right now. And whatever this misery is for you, it's going to continue. It's not going to change. You're just going to do this in perpetuity until some point in the future when you decide to end the marriage. And then you will find happiness on the other side. Yes. And I have heard children, you know, and and I'm going with them through the process, right? And they'll say, you know, it's okay. We're okay. I'm okay. You know, I get to see my dad. I get to see my mom. In fact, some of them get to see one of the parents more than they would have in the past because they'll have like days, the weekends, you know, and it's just them and the other parent. But that I will say that takes a while to get to. But once the new normal is established, they'll say to me, everything I created in my head, maybe only one or two things happened and I was able to work through it. Or And obviously, these are a little bit older. You know, the little yeah. kids can't talk like this, but we're talking about teens now. And they'll say, you know, it's a lot calmer. You know, there's less fighting. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to come home to. I don't have to worry about 
what is the fight of the week or who's going to start yelling or whatever. It's it's a lot calmer now. It's, you know, I'm, I've created a great relationship with mom or dad, whoever it was that they felt more distant from in the past. Um, so there can be positives, but again, it's how you navigate it. Now, what are you, this happens a lot in my office. I'll get someone who says, well, I'm doing everything right. You know, I'm saying all the right things. I'm saying everything Jennifer told me to say. But when they go over his house... You know, they have to hear about all the terrible things I did during the marriage and how he's going to be poor because he has to pay me alimony and, you know, just whatever, inappropriate details about the divorce proceeding. Mm -hmm. What do you tell those people? Because they always say to me, but how can I not talk about it? He's talking about it. Right. What am I supposed to say? So I will tell you that kids feel that parent is doing themselves a disservice. You know, we think the one it's, that's talking. Yes, because yeah. kids love their parents equally. They love no matter what innately they love them. So when that person is talking about their other parents so negatively, they're uncomfortable. There's never a time that they are comfortable with that. So they will start associating dad's house or mom's house with discomfort. And so what I would do is, unfortunately, you have no control over that, unless it's to the point of alienation and they can come talk to you again, right? Um, Then you have no control over that. The only thing that you can do is create a safe and and predictable environment in the one that you have control over. And, And you can identify it. You can say, I know that daddy is very upset. And, or very mad. What, identify the feeling. When people are mad, they say things that could be upsetting to others. That's how they feel. So is there anything that daddy has said that's upset you? You can ask me any question, and I will give you an answer to that. Did you cheat on daddy? Well, that's a good one, right? And so I tell parents, depending on the age, right? Yeah. If there's a teenager who probably already knows, yes. Yes. I fell in love with blah, blah, blah. And I made the mistake, which I do regret, of pursuing that relationship before I ended my marriage. And that was a mistake. I knew that this person was the one. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have done it differently. But yes, that's what happened. So it shouldn't just be that's not your concern and I don't Depends on the age. Honestly, like, you know, the younger ones will tell me what cheating means. You know, ask them, what do you what do you think? That's I would always go with the what you think, because sometimes you could say, yeah, I yeah, that is what happened, depending on what they come up with. Right. I think that you and daddy fell out of love and they'll be mimicking their friends or whatever anybody has said to them. Right. And yes. That is what happened. And I know that you know so-and-so, you know, and he's a very good friend of mine who has helped me get through this divorce because then you can set up later that we bonded, you know, based on us separating at the same time or whatever, you know, and then that kind of is like seamlessly when two people have something in common, they tend to connect more. And that's what happened um, for the younger ones, maybe. But I would never tell them that they're wrong. You know, I would never tell them that, no, you're mistaken, of course. But... Another way to deal with this, which is better, because kids really don't like to have these conversations, especially when the one parent is on one side and the other is on the other. They don't want to upset either parent. So the best way to deal with this is get a little journal. This has worked wonders in a lot of um, clients, okay? So you get a journal. In my head, it's like that marble notebook we wrote in when we were younger. But it could be any journal. They can decorate it, right? It sits somewhere in the house. 
if they ever have a question, they can write it down for either parent. And you can have one in each house or if you're still together at the time, put it in there. And on the side, it'll say, do you want me to write the answer back, talk to you about it, or text you the answer? Now, we can debate the merits of this, but the truth is your kids are going to be more open if they're not looking you in the face. So whether that is texting Sitting in a dark room, having them in the backseat of the car, do not miss that opportunity. That is an awesome time to talk, by the way. They do not want to look at your face while you're upset, right? That's brilliant. But they want to know the information. So when they write that question, also gives them control, right? Helps you a lot, too, because you have a second to think, right? You have a second to think and decide and also talk to the other spouse and say, how are you going to answer this question? Now, if they say they want you to text, they say you want to have a conversation, have the other spouse there as much as possible. If they say you want to write back in that notebook, every night or every couple nights, you check the notebook. If there's something in there, you respond. You respond in any way that you want. You could ask friends, you could call anybody to get some information on how to do this. It's not you being put on the spot and it's not them staring at you waiting for the answer and your face looks either panic stricken and they're like, oh gosh, I can't ask mommy or daddy questions because they panic. Right? So it's a really good way. Also, and not, I mean, obviously I'm a proponent of therapy, of course, but they really just need someone neutral to talk to. You know, if you can't afford therapy or that's not going to work for you or maybe your kid isn't interested, Give them someone that they can talk to, that they trust, that they feel comfortable with. And whether or not you ever hear anything from that person, sometimes it's your best friend. Sometimes it's an aunt, uncle, one of your siblings, whatever. Um, Maybe they'll give you information, but you have to be so careful not to let that child know that you're getting that information. I mean, a great scenario would be you do share information and then they never know about it, right? But that you have to make sure that that relationship is preserved because that's their safe place to go and talk. Now, do you, when you have a child in therapy, do you, are there rules on this? You know, whether you can disclose Mm -hmm. what you've discussed? Yes. And here's the best thing that I've learned to say that works almost every time. And it's, I'll say to the child, like, you have um, confidentiality. That's a really big word for saying that. I can't tell anybody what you say. But what I've found in talking to kids your age is that it's not necessarily that you don't want mommy or daddy to know. It's that you don't want to be the one to tell them. And that's my job. So I'll say something like, you know, at the end of the session, if you want, we can talk about what I think mommy or daddy might benefit to help you to know. And if you can stay in here, do you see how I'm giving choices, right? You can stay in here if you want when I say it. And if you choose not to stay in here, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to say. And you can say, well, can you delete that part? Or can you add this part to it? And then we have that conversation. And it is extremely rare that I don't have a kid that jumps all over that because they do want you to know. They just are so afraid of talking to you about it because it's already, by the time you get to therapy, right? By the time you get to marriage counseling, it's already tainted. They know something's up and it's not pleasant. Therefore, it produces anxiety. What are, are there a lot of common things you see recurring things that they're concerned about? Yeah, it's it's a lot about them. Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? It's it and it is. They it is always going to be if their world is changing, they want to know. They want to know. And and a lot of them I'll say, "Well, would it help you if you knew exactly where you were going to be every day?" Cuz sometimes, you know, other people start helping. Grandparents get involved. You know, an aunt will pick up. You know, there's a lot of things that start happening. It's like, say, for example, that a um, parent is a police officer, right? They tend to do like four days on, four days off, right? So yeah. if their parenting schedule yields a time when they're on, 
they can't go get the kid from school. Now, maybe mom picked him up from school every single day. That's a huge change that they don't know how to navigate. And then it becomes, well, who's going to pick me up? Where am I going to be? What's going to happen? And just knowing what to expect sometimes can alleviate so much anxiety. But as parents, we're trying to figure the new normal out as well. Yeah. And it's sometimes it does change on this. On, and then they expect one thing and something else happens. And that makes things less predictable. And if we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy, right, like the second level, which is like our basic needs is to have things predictable, to feel safe, to be comfortable. And whenever things get shaken up, it's not. So to be able to give them and communicate as much as possible, whether that is just a quick message, if they're a teenager, they can check their phones at school, unfortunately, right? Um, if they are a um, elementary student, for example, send the, send the teacher an email. Do something in some way that gets that message to the kid that this is the person that's going to be there. This is what's going to happen. And again, the calendar is huge, making sure they're aware. And even who's going to pick me up, where am I sleeping, everything. Let them know as much in advance as you can. So even, you know, you just, I think, um, hinted at it, but the parents really don't know. You know, I think mm-hmm. the parents are a lot of times, especially the, I think, you know, and more often it's the, the mother or the wife who is financially dependent on the husband. Not always, but mm-hmm. it, it happens a little more typically. And they're very worried. Well, how much money am I going to have? Where can I afford to live? I don't even know where we're going to go. What am I supposed to tell the kids? Mm -hmm. So is your suggestion, if that's your situation, to keep things as, as close to normal as they have been, you know, maintain status quo until you know what the new situation is going to be? Yes, but I will give them what, like, if we're moving, right, we will be moving, Right now, I there's no way we're moving before this date, right? That's the best you can give. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Okay. It's okay yeah, to say, I don't question. know. I mean, anytime, even when I was teaching college, you know, if somebody asked me a question, I would say, I don't know. You know, I will find out for you, but I don't know. So after that, you could say, I don't know, but as soon as I do, I will have a conversation with you. I, could, I can promise you that. Um, and it's difficult. How do you feel about not knowing? And then start, I know that sounds so therapeutic, but I don't want there to be a precedent that we don't talk about feelings because every single human in that household has one, has yeah. them, has all of them. Right. And so it makes me very uncomfortable. Validate it. It makes me very uncomfortable to not know. How do you feel? And just have a conversation. So do you think that when people are making the decision to get a divorce, should they just immediately put their kids in therapy? Um, I mean, honestly, probably before that, because when you're making the decision to, um, there's already been something happen, right? And I mean, I think therapy, if we get our nails done and we get our toes done, why wouldn't we get our head done? Like why? That does, you know, obviously I'm biased, but it's, it's a benefit to already have that relationship with somebody. And that's what I kind of tell people, you know, I have to establish a rapport, especially with teenagers or they're not going to talk to me. They'll test me. I see them testing me. They'll decide whether they're going to share something. They'll, they'll share something and then see my reaction. And I do have a poker face. I also do play poker. But, <laughs> um, and and you can, I can sit on that chair and look exactly the same no matter what. But as a parent, I don't know that I could do that. So we have you're to. Invo- you're emotionally invested in it. I am. I'm yeah. subjective. And so to answer your question, it's. It's great for them, even if they just go and meet a therapist, right? When you know something's up, even in your gut and you're not willing to admit it, just go that way they have a relationship with one. 
And then when needed, you can go back and you're not starting from scratch. They can jump right in. And I have that. I mean, I have parents that go a year. I have kids that go six months. And then, oh, they've asked to see you. And even the boys will ask to see me. And I, I mean, I am just so grateful that I'm still able to do that. Um, I don't know when that's going to run out. If the hair keeps gray or it might <laughs> not work. But um, I think having that relationship is the most important thing. Do they have to go every week if there's not anything going on right now? No. But they do have to have a rapport established so that when the time comes or out of nowhere the time comes, you're like, okay, good. There's a safe place for them to land. Now, don't discount that there are in the schools trained professionals. I used to work in the school. I have a private practice now, you know, um, trained professionals that can help you navigate this. And my first thing is let the counselor at the school know there are groups run. You know, I ran divorce groups. And unless I knew about it, yeah. I didn't. Now, obviously, if you're not divorced yet or not separated or whatever's happening yet, don't tell your child to go to a divorce group. But yeah. just let the counselor know. They'll check in. They'll see if there's any changes. They'll talk to teachers. You know, we do a lot behind the scenes in schools. And most of us are qualified to have our own practice like the laws in, the, in New Jersey are the most stringent to be able to be a guidance counselor now so utilize everybody it's free too so what are some things that parents should look out for if they think oh, my kids are okay you know they all seem to be coping and you know everything's good and, you know put mm-hmm. on the smiley face what are some signs in your experience that maybe things aren't as great as they think okay First thing that we can, that's the most easily measurable, is grades. You will see a dip in grades, even if it's just missing an assignment here, usually distracted. Um, Changing um, the way they approach things. And that can be being a little more irritable, being a little sadder, you know, kind of escaping. And that's another thing, really important. When our reality is difficult, we escape from it. Now, when they're younger, it might be more video games. When they're older, God forbid, it could be drugs. You know, it could be anything that changes your reality. I mean, that's literally, you know, what drug alters your reality. Um, It can reduce um, anxiety, can do a lot of things. Escaping the house, wanting to go over people's houses more and more. Um, There's a lot of things. It's just really, you know your kid. You know their behavior. Any changes, changes in sleeping, changes in eating. I mean, I'm giving you like the hallmark of depression, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. We change when we are dealing with stress. And... It could be as simple as being a little more irritable. Now, they're teenagers. So that is a confounding variable there. Confounding variable. I mean, just could happen, right? But having also that open communication with them. And you'll know because they'll tell you. You know, whether it's in the notebook, whether it's them identifying, yeah, I am sad. Or, yeah, especially with you leading that conversation out. Like, I'm really sad about this. I know, I feel that it's the right decision. But I'm really sad about this. And just seeing how they and eventually if they need to, they will come to you. Um, And, you know, I'm going to go a little off the grid here because Mm -hmm. I um, do feel strongly that children should not have privacy. Oh, gosh, please. No kids listening. Right. Um, But uh, I would if you are able to without them knowing, I would check their messages. I would check their social media and not even just for this divorce stuff, but because they are dealing with so many heavy things that they don't know how to navigate that their brains are nowhere near developed for just being aware of that sometimes um are there going to be consequences if you could caught yes you do a cost benefit analysis to that but a lot of parents don't do this until they see a big change and something is going on and if you're not going through a divorce you know figure out what that is should you Um, tell them that you are monitoring social media i mean (laughs) here's the problem with that right yeah they're smarter than you i can guarantee you 
they're smarter unless you're some IT person, right? <laughs> they are smarter than you regarding, um, you know, technology, technology yeah. the word there it is, right? Uh, so the problem is no, because here's the issue. They hide things. They'll hide it. They'll delete it. They, I have parents that do that, right? I have parents that do that. And they'll, they'll tell me, well, on this for, Snapchat, for example, I can delete what I say, but I can't delete what they say, you know? And they know. They're 10 steps ahead of you all the time. So if you really want an accurate view, now, it, there are some parents who are not cut out for that, Right. There are parents who will react so strongly to something that they've seen that they won't be able to keep it under wraps. Then don't do it, right? Yeah. Then don't do it. Because the second you overreact, not only have you breached their trust, well, not yeah, only have you, exactly, about. and not only have you done that, but then you've also reacted to something they have no idea that you've read and was not meant for you, right? This is more like the big brother watching. It's kind of like, all right, what are they dealing with? How are they navigating it? And it also helps to deal with behaviors, you know? If you know that they're having a fight with their girlfriends, then, okay, you know that. Do you need to get involved? No. Yeah. But it's always good to know what they're dealing with because then that moody attitude, then that little snappy comment, right? They, it, it's a but little then, easier to deal with, right? How do you find out if they're vaping or if they're sexting or well, God knows you'll what You'll read else. it. <laughs> you'll read it if but, that's how you do it. If not, them. so here's another, well, depends on how you handle that, right? So then there's another way that I think is an easier way to kind of like get your foot in the door, right? So, you know, vaping's a big deal. Everybody's, yeah. they're all doing it, unfortunately. So you say, you know, have you seen anyone at school vaping? Tell me about that, right? Let me just tell you, if they mention any of their friends, minimally they've probably tried it. Now, there are, there are some exceptions to this. I do have some clients who are very much into their sports. Mm -hmm. And that's a great excuse, right? Very much into their sports. And so they will not touch it because they know they can't run, they can't swim, whatever it is, as well if they are vaping. Um, and also there are some, you know, if they're really up there in it, there are some that are testing for these things. So that's a good thing. Um, but otherwise, ask them first what they're observing. Then ask them more, well, do you know anybody? You know, what are you seeing at school? Do you know anybody? And that leads it simply to, have you tried it like once before, right? Like once before, right? I only did it once. I didn't inhale. It's right? like when you get pulled over. Right, exactly. You know, so, okay. Now, here's the thing. Your reaction to that is huge. Yeah. Because if you start screaming like a banshee, right, <laughs> after they tell you, yes, they have, then they're not going to tell you anything again. You have one shot at this. So, okay. And honestly, kids do. I do have kids say, like, I know that there's going to be a consequence to this. I don't agree with it, but I get while they're doing it. They will never tell you that. But they know. They know yeah. the rules of the world. And they like that. that that's predictable. Yeah. You know, like that kind of predictability. I think we've got off the grid here, right? Um, but okay. that kind of predictability is, is important. So um, I, I just thought of something. When I was in college, I think I was a freshman, there was this professor who said, she made a comment, I, and it always stuck with me. I thought it was totally inappropriate at the time, and I just want to get your feedback. She said that every single child who comes from a divorce is screwed up. She said something to that effect, that oh. if you came from a – if you're a product of divorce, then you're screwed up. Um, and, you know, it was at a time when I think the divorce rate was probably lower than it is now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe at that time – probably half the room was not a product of divorce probably less than half the room was so it, it you know it kind of struck me because i am a product of divorce so i just remember thinking well 
that's a really nice thing to say to a class of <laughs> students. So, so now I think I'm screwed up and, and the rest of them aren't. So what do you think about that? I do not agree at all with that. I don't. Um, I've seen plenty of kids screwed up with two parents, right? Right. So well, there's yeah. that. But also, it, again, it goes back to how you navigate it. You know, a child's life can still be great in a divorce situation. Um, and depending on how it was before the divorce, it could be better. So I, I do not agree with that. But I can you screw a kid up by getting divorced? Yes. If you do yeah. all the wrong things, right? Um, and there's no predictability and it's just, you know, manipulative and they're pawns and all these things, even if they're not aware of it. And that's the one thing. You have to be very self-aware. You have to be – we tend to try to reduce our own anxiety, right? Yeah. So – and try to – a lot of it is for us, not for them. And, of course, when you're going through something so significant – I mean, this is on one of the top, like, stressful situations. Absolutely. Um, you're not going to always be aware. So, you know, therapy for yourself or bouncing things off of, – like, we'll say something to ourselves, but then when we say it aloud, we're like – to somebody else, we'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That was not a good choice, was it? Yeah. So just having that confidant – not necessarily a therapist, anybody who kind of, like, you can reflect back ideas, what, how I'm going to handle this, what I'm going to do, is always a great way of doing that. And – you can you can mitigate the damage and, in fact, come out of the other side in a really bright future where you can, do have that opportunity to show your kids, you know, what is this great example of marriage or a relationship and also ending what isn't. Um, yeah. And, again, it is all situational. It all depends on everything. So it's the way you navigate it that I think will, in the end – create healthy adults that can move on to decide, you know, whatever they want. And that's really the truth. Like, we want to give them the ability to make their own choices. Well, I have been harping on that for years. I tell people it's not the divorce that is going to kill your kids. You know, it's not the divorce that's going to affect them. It's really the way that you treat each other because they love both parents they mm-hmm. just want to continue to have the love of both parents, but they also want to be able to continue to love both parents and show that mm-hmm. and not be criticized or you know feel like it's wrong in front of the other parents. Absolutely, because that innate love for each parent becomes difficult because they're never going to lose that. But when one's saying something negative or they don't know what's going to happen, and I will say that, yes, they want to be able to love their parents unconditionally without feeling any tension regarding that. And they want to know what's going to happen to them. They want predictability and comfort. And that's it. Well, thank you so much. This was very enlightening for me, too. I wish I had you on here years ago. (laughs) So uh, for anybody who's interested in using your services or talking to you more, how should they reach out to you? Um, I have a website. It's jenniferhilligus.com. Last name is H-I-L-L-I-G-U-S.com. And you can Google me. I'm on Psychology Today. Um, You can, there's so many ways to contact me now, right? You can email me through the website. You can text me through the website. You can call me. Um, There's also a little form that you can use. Um, I I would have to be flexible to get in right now, but um, I'm absolutely open to anyone now. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Divorce Happy Hour. If you have a divorce question, you can reach us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com or call us at 732-529-6937. See you next time.